on October 27th. I called him to let him know that um, I had had some people look at the house, but I still had no offers. So we talked about me coming over to Vienna the first week of December for seven to 10 days. And we talked about going to the Christmas market and to the Punz Festival, and, and he loved that. That's the voice of Aaron's mother, Catherine Gillerin. On October 31st, 2007, I was the director of the Cortland County SPCA and I was at work. It was about 1 or 1.30 in the afternoon and the secretary from the Ithaca Police Department, who I was friends with, called me and told me that I needed to go home, that there was a phone message waiting for me. And I said, what do you mean? She says, Kathy, you need to go home. And I could tell by her tone of voice that something had happened. And I kept pressing her, and finally she started crying and told me that Aaron was missing. What happens when life is stranger than fiction? Or when the antagonist wins because we have no idea who they are? Or when the so-called perfect crime is committed and society is left dumbfounded and petrified? We spread the word, that's what. We talk, we discuss, and we network. I'm your host, Michael. And I want to personally thank you for listening and supporting the show. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained. October 27th was the last time Catherine Gillen spoke to her son, Aaron. It was then they made plans for Catherine to fly to Vienna and spend 10 days just learning about the culture and possibly deciding if she wanted to move to Vienna and stay with Aaron for a while. But just two days after that conversation, Aaron vanished. On Halloween 2007, Kathy received a phone call while at work from a secretary with the Ithaca Police Department. She was a friend of Kathy's. Kathy had previously worked for the IPD for 21 years and was currently working as the director of the Cortland County SPCA, which is the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. The lady told Kathy there was a message waiting on her answering machine and told her she needed to go home immediately. When Catherine arrived at home, the voice on the answering machine was a representative from the Unido HR department, which is where Aaron works. Aaron had been working at the Unido, which is United Nations Industrial Development Organization, for about four and a half years. The voice on the machine explained that Aaron had left work on Monday, October 29th, at 6 p.m., and they were alarmed when Aaron was a no-call, no-show for two days straight. That was completely unlike Aaron. Aaron had taken vacation, he had taken the occasional sick day, but he always called. So once Kathy returned the call, to the, the man went on to explain that they had reported this to the police along with Aaron's partner, Posse, and upstairs neighbor, Umberto. However, the police were refusing to file a missing persons report because Aaron wasn't an Austrian citizen, or so they said. Kathy was told that Unido had to make contact with the Austrian foreign minister who was able to then intercede with the police and told them to accept the report. He told Kathy that she and Posse, which is Aaron's partner, and his neighbor Umberto 
were to meet the police to file an official report on November 1st, 2007. So Catherine immediately flew to Vienna and actually arrived on November 1st. And from here on out, all of the unfortunate events that are to follow, Catherine believes were simply because her son was gay. A coming out story. I'm coming out. Um, coming out story. How does this coming out story go? It's in the summer of 2000. Um, I'm coming to, to New York, coming to visit. Um, we're going to stay at the lake in the summer house for, for a couple of days and go on to Ohio. I said, I'll be bringing my friend uh, Alex with me. I said, uh, by the way, he's my boyfriend and I'm gay. Um, and then she called me. Um, she's like, well, it's not, if I, not as if I never knew that you were gay. She says, you're the only one who would, who would uh, mow the lawn in the garden wearing dress pants and an apron. So <laughs> uh, I've always been a little bit formal with my clothing. Um, but she was fine. I mean, she said, of course, you know, she would like me to have, have, have children. Um, and to not be gay, not because she doesn't love me, not because she doesn't accept me, but because she knows that it can be a difficult life. Um, but, I mean, there's really no discussion with us about it. Um, my mother's mother, my grandmother, we went to visit her on the trip as well, about two, day, two or three days after we'd gone to New York. Um, and my mother kept telling me, she says, you really don't really tell your grandmother that you're gay. And I'm like, well, I'll think about it. We were having lunch the second day we were down there. I think we stayed overnight. I'm not sure. I can't remember now. Um, we were sitting there, and I'm like, uh, yeah, this is my roommate, Alex, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, I said, I have something to tell you. I said, uh, he's not just my roommate. He's also my boyfriend. I'm gay. And, and then she says, well, she says, uh, would you like some cake with your tea? I'm like, did you hear what I said, Grandma, grandmother? And she says, yeah, she said, I heard you. She says, are you happy? I said, yeah, I said, I am very, very happy. She says, okay, then she says, nothing to discuss. And she went over and she gave Alex a big hug, and then she gave me one. And we always joked, we were, and we always said that, that she loved him more than she loved me, so maybe she, she should switch over. Aaron had been openly gay for about 10 years and was pretty well supported and accepted by many of his family and friends. As for Aaron's love for Austria and its culture, that actually started during a year abroad where he spent some time in gaming Austria, studying theology, as he was, indeed, a devout Catholic. He even had plans to become a Catholic priest and attended seminary for a short while. He decided against priesthood when he was told he would have to preach against homosexuality. Aaron felt, naturally, in my opinion, that this would make him a hypocrite. And so he decided to leave seminary, and he realized that he could serve God and the church in other ways. I find this, I, as someone who grew up religious and grew up in church, I find this, this dilemma very interesting because I have encountered this a lot throughout the Christian faith, in particular, a, a faith that is against homosexuality. I know a lot of religions are, but I, don't, I, I have more experience with the Christian faith. And there were many people that I met through the years in different churches and various, in uh, you know, various uh, what do you call them denominations, that were homosexuals, and I, this always puzzled me. I just didn't understand how they still held an allegiance and a love for religion, or not so much for religion, I guess, more for for God, I guess, even though it seemed that His Word preached against them. Um, 
And that's a whole nother can of worms I really don't want to get into right now. Let's get let's get back to Aaron. <laughs> he earned his first master's degree. And that's right, I said first because he had more than one. <laughs> he earned his first master's degree from Franciscan University in Ohio. He earned another one from Webster University in Vienna. And he was working on a third at Webster. Okay, so back to what's going on in Vienna. You have some background on Aaron, who he is, um, what he's about. And, I mean, you heard a little bit from, from him in his own words. And you see how even, even in his accent, he's almost lost any sense of an American accent or any traits from the American accent, really. He doesn't sound like a New Yorker to me anymore. He almost sounds like an Austrian who just speaks very good English, which I thought was was very interesting. He really dove into this culture. He loved this culture. Um, his his mother spoke about in the in the documentary about how he wanted he loved Austria because he liked to get dressed up, just for no reason. He just liked to wear nice clothing, and in Austria. And in Vienna, that was just that's just part of the culture there. They just they get dressed up just to go out. You just look your best to go get coffee or or whatever it is. And and that was just a, a not I'm not saying that was like the turning point for Aaron. That's all he cared about, but that was a big part of it. You know, he felt like he fit in, felt like he belonged there. So after Kathy arrives in Vienna, the next five weeks are hell. She's dealing with police reports that change at every meeting, intimidation and disrespect from the police, and even being lied to about her son being HIV positive. So here's their original story that Kathy was given by the police. Aaron Gillern was last seen on October 29, 2007. He was running naked through the streets of Vienna. He was seen living, leaving the Kaiser Brundle Men's Spa and was suspected by the police to have committed quote-unquote, spontaneous suicide by jumping into the Danube Canal. I don't know about you, but I've never heard the term spontaneous suicide until I started studying this case. Pretty sure it doesn't exist. Also, a little side note, in the Catholic belief, committing suicide is a moral sin, as well as the whole Christian belief, and will cost one their salvation if, quote-unquote, if committed knowingly and with consent. So that's something I believe personally that Aaron would know. But if Aaron had been drugged or given something or afraid, who knows what frame of mind he could have been in. But regardless, the original story was that Aaron had somehow been involved or witnessed a conflict between tourists and locals at the Kaiser Brundle Men's Spa. Something frightened him, and he ran upstairs and out into the street. Now, we know he looked frightened because, which we'll find out later, a couple witnesses came forward uh, because of a newspaper article, but they actually saw, a couple actually saw Aaron running, and they wrote it off as, you know, maybe a college prank or something of the sort, and so the couple catcalled at him just for fun, and they said when he turned around, they had never seen such a look of fear on someone's face. So, keep that in mind, but... You know, if Aaron was on some sort of some hallucinogen or psychedelic or anything like that, there's no doubt he would be scared out of his mind in this situation. Or maybe he did witness something. But he fled through a well-known, very high-end shopping center 
and tourist area and leapt straight into the Danube Canal. Quote-unquote, spontaneous suicide. That's the story, right? And supposedly, a man that had been fishing the canal that night called police and reported that he saw the body of a bald-headed man floating down the canal. Police claimed that fire and rescue was called out along with scent-tracking canines and an extensive search was done in the canal and the surrounding area, yet they did not find Aaron anywhere. So at this point, if you're still thinking suicide, you're either not thinking clearly or you're not hearing me. There's like a million reasons this guy would not commit suicide. Okay, I think we've been pretty clear about that. He was, he was planning on his mother coming to move with him, live with him in, in uh, Vienna. He also had plane tickets that he bought for a trip he was going to take with his partner Posse in December. There's just no way with Aaron in his right mind is jumping off of that bridge into that canal. It's just not happening. But you've heard the police story, right? You've heard the, what was on the original report. Let's go back. Let's rewind to when Kathy first steps foot in Vienna on November 1st. And let's get Kathy's side of the story and see how it compares. So Kathy arrives in Vienna on November 1st. She's immediately picked up by Posse, Aaron's partner, and they headed to Aaron's apartment. Five minutes before arriving at Aaron's apartment building, she receives a call from Aaron's upstairs neighbor, Umberto. He said two investigators were at Aaron's apartment waiting to search it. So Kathy asks if they can wait until she arrives before they enter the apartment, which they did. When Kathy arrived, she spoke to both officers and told them that she was a cop also, and she showed them her like retirement police badge, and they, lack of a better term, they really didn't give a shit. She said, in her words, in America, cops take care of cops, and that this should matter. But the um, Austrian officers seemed to just shake it off. They really didn't care. They would not make eye contact with her, and they were not friendly in the slightest. The quote-unquote search of Aaron's apartment included looking under Aaron's bed, which was a pretty high-off, pretty lifted bed, very minimalist bed frame, I would say. You could see under the bed from like the documentary videos into pictures and stuff. There was no reason to look under the bed. There was no one there. Um, And they looked in every room, and that was pretty much it. Aaron's apartment was not very big, and Kathy said that the investigators were never even out of sight while they were searching his place. He was also, Aaron, I'm talking about, was also a very meticulous person, so his apartment was very clean and organized there. Um, Even his laundry was in the washer, which Aaron had started, but never finished. The two investigators then took Kathy's information from her passport, and that was it. They left. So Kathy, completely unsatisfied with that search and their cooperation, which she should be, she then immediately went to Unido to meet with the director of HR. She suggested that her and Kathy call and speak to the police. When they called there, They were put through to an investigator. But the problem was it was the exact same investigator that was at Aaron's apartment. So that was already not going to be good, right? I mean, but that, to to defend the police force, that's exactly what you would have done, right? Why are you going to put an investigator on the phone that wasn't at the apartment, that wasn't involved in this case already? So I understand that. 
but it just happened to be the the guy who was unfriendly, uncooperative, and you know acted like he didn't speak English, that sort of thing. Um, so it was there over the phone that Kathy was told about the search of the canal and all the police efforts to find Aaron. However, she would find out that all of that was bullshit. I said, how could they have done all this in half an hour? I mean, it takes time to suit up. It takes time to get there. You know, and, and I, I told her, I said, ask him about the canine unit. And what did they have to search for my son? You know, if, if they didn't know it was my son, how were they searching? How did they put the dog on a scent? And then he came back and you remember her rolling her eyes and she says, well, if he said that if you were really a police officer that you'd understand how canines work. And then the story changed to, well, the fisherman saw, um, he didn't see a bald-headed man, he saw a body float by and he called the police. So, I mean, within, you know, a matter of an hour, the story was starting to disintegrate. So let's dissect some of this crazy tomfoolery that these investigators are trying to pull over uh, Miss Kathy Gillen's eyes. The original statement from the investigator was that the fisherman had made the call at 8.20 p.m. And by 8.50 p.m., the scene was cleared. So in just 30 minutes, dogs had been called out to search with no scent, and scuba teams had suited up and searched the entire canal. Kathy remembers that as the Unito employee was translating the call, she was writing, this doesn't make sense, over and over again. Kathy couldn't understand why the investigators didn't search the sauna where Aaron was last seen at the Kaiser Brundle. She asked the interpreter to inquire about the spa, and when she did, the investigator said the spa doesn't matter and that there was absolutely no reason to search it. So naturally, red flags are going up everywhere for Kathy as all of Aaron's belongings were found at the spa. Oh, and one more thing about the fisherman story who claimed he saw the bald-headed man floating down the canal, and then he said it was just a body floating down the canal. And then later, uh, the story was changed that he just heard a splash and a scream. And also, furthermore, no one has any idea who this fisherman is. So anyway, on November 3rd, Kathy receives a phone call from a Unido liaison, and he urged Kathy to call the embassy for help because he was made aware of how the police kept changing their story. Because of the HR rep at Unido, I guess she had spoken with him and kind of filled him in. And he urged Kathy to call the embassy for help. So that day, Kathy and Posse, Aaron's partner, and a Unido HR rep were going to meet and talk to the police together. Inside the police department, Kathy recalls that the investigators were smoking, and this caused her to get quite nauseous. Um, not to mention that one of the investigators was, again, the same one that came to the apartment, the same one um, that the HR rep originally talked to on the phone. So <clears throat> Kathy's in the room. They haven't even begun yet. They're already smoking up the, the small room inside. So Kathy gets nauseous, and she moves towards a window to open it. And an investigator stood up behind her, and said something to her in German. The interpreter told Kathy that the man wanted her to sit down, 
and get away from the window. Kathy tried to explain that she felt sick and just wanted fresh air, but the officer was persistent that she sit down, and he even stood behind her chair when she did sit. Classic intimidation move, right? But um, if I can say anything in the officer's defense, maybe they thought that a mother in mourning should not be near an open window on a building. I don't know. Maybe they think that she's that hysterical. Um, These men were very misogynist. They were very degrading. And I could see I could see them jumping to this conclusion just because this mother was distraught over her son. So Kathy tried to explain that she felt sick and she just wanted fresh air. Kathy believes that the police were trying to intimidate her. And I think she was right. When she asked for water or a bathroom, the police told her they didn't have water or a public bathroom, which is obviously bullshit. How do you not have a a restroom at a police station. Uh, But Kathy was eventually told in this meeting also, this was the first time she was told that Aaron had become emotionally unstable because he found out he was HIV positive. But that theory was instantly shut down by Posse because he told the police that Aaron was tested the day he disappeared and he had called and told Posse when he got the results. And also... We'll talk more about his belongings later, but a HIV negative test results was with Aaron's stuff with his name on it. So that was cut and dry. The man was not HIV positive. The police claim that Posse was lying and insisted that the results of the test drove Aaron to commit suicide. Police claimed also Aaron had run out of the spa at 650, which did not line up at all with the original story. Another loose screw in the story is that Posse had received a text from Aaron at around 7.30 and that another friend, Arnesia, had talked to Aaron at 7.20 and that conversation lasted for about 10 minutes. So when I first heard this information, I thought, well, maybe someone at the spa with, you know, bad intentions maybe texted Aaron's friend or called them, but when I... But when a phone conversation goes on for 10 minutes, it's kind of hard to fake that. I don't think they could do Aaron's voice, let alone carry on a conversation for 10 minutes with a friend of his. So obviously Aaron called at 7.20 and spoke with Arnesia for 10 minutes. So it was then that the police responded that the time on Aaron's phone must be set wrong. Which makes absolutely no sense. Everyone who has ever had a cell phone, which is mainly mainly everyone or has even seen one, you know that the time and the date on the phone are set automatically. It's, a, it's GPS located. If you're connected to your data, if you're connected to the internet in any way, your, your time is set. You can't change it, right? It knows what time zone you're in. But it was in the meeting that the police began to question Kathy mockingly about this for having a gay son. I mean, every time she would throw something back that actually made sense, like about the time thing, how phones can't be set, they would they would just get off topic. They were almost just trying to break her down, asking her if she was proud, quote-unquote proud, that Aaron was Mr. Gay Austria, which indeed he was. And I can't find, I couldn't find any actual info on the Mr. Gay Austria competition, Um, 
but there were photos of Aaron in the documentary, the documentary Gone, um, if I haven't mentioned it yet. The documentary was called Gone about Aaron, and there were pictures of him with a sash and what it looked like a competition, almost like a beauty competition for men. So, uh, Kathy took the news pretty well, in my opinion. She smiled, she put a grimace on her face, and she just kind of said, yes, I'm extremely proud. But I know she wanted nothing more than this, to get the hell out of that room. You could just see it on her face in the interviews. But on November 6th, Kathy and a Unido employee went to the police department to pick up Aaron's belongings. When she arrived, she met with the same investigators who had a large black trash bag sitting on the floor in the middle of the office. Kathy was told that her son's belongings were in the bag. And it, it hit her very hard. She was overcome with emotion. She immediately started crying. Um, and when she asked for a tissue, something as simple as a tissue, she was told they had none. And as Kathy, she just couldn't take it anymore. It, her emotions took over herself, and she was literally starting to get physically sick. So she basically exclaimed to the interpreter, I need to go to a bathroom now, or, you know, furthermore, there's going to be a mess in here. And the investigators again told her they did not have one. But finally, another officer in the room told her to follow him, and he led her to a bathroom. So I don't know if they were playing like a good cop, bad cop thing here, but either way, this is bullshit. This is a this is a grieving mother, not a criminal. You can tell the resentment. You can you can see the discontent they had for maybe not only her, but but mainly her son's lifestyle and her who her son was as a person. So after she was able to leave, the Unido liaison told her that they could not help her anymore. And and I think that was because that liaison saw the writing on the wall. They saw the way she was being treated. They saw the, the lack of respect she was getting, the way that they, they seemingly had all their bases covered. And this, this little scam or whatever they're pulling was pretty airtight. Or maybe they just didn't give a shit. Maybe. But either way, Unito was out. They had done all they could do, they felt like, and they wanted to wash their hands of this and move on. And that night was was a very tough night for Kathy, so she just began to sit and go through Aaron's belongings that were found from the spa. And in that bag she found, sitting right on top, were the lab reports that said Aaron was HIV negative, right on top. And yet the cops persisted that he was HIV positive. You know, that alone is, it just shows that either, one, they didn't look at the report at all, or two, they just wanted to fuck with her. I don't know, I don't know how else to put it. They just, they just wanted to mess with her. They wanted to irritate her. They had they had bad intentions. I don't I don't. There's no other explanation for that than that. She also found Aaron's phone, and all of the calls lined up with what Posse originally said about the text message 
and then the call to Aaron's friend at 7.20. So to recap so far, the police had completely disregarded any evidence regarding Aaron's belongings, completely disregarded the phone calls, and there was absolutely no fire, no rescue squad ever dispatched, there was no search, there was no witnesses, and there was no one in the police department that gave a shit. But Kathy couldn't help but wonder, maybe if the lack of interest in poor treatment of her son's case had anything to do with a complaint Aaron had filed against Vienna police in 2003. After, quote, forgetting to get his train tickets stamped, Aaron was arrested, assaulted, and his apartment illegally searched. Aaron wrote a formal complaint to the police department in the precinct about the treatment he received by Vienna officers when he simply forgot to get one of his train passes stamped. Aaron was then taken into custody, basically put under arrest, taken to the police station, uh, mocked because he was gay, asked to be strip-searched. Um, to they told him that he should go to a back room and submit to a strip-search, which he declined. And he said, you can search everything on me. I'll empty my pockets here on this desk. You can have my book bag. So he does all that. Then Aaron proceeds to tell him that he has a friend, Brian, who he can get in touch with, who could come down to the police station and pay the fine for him. But the officers are not going to let him off that easy. They say, no, he will not pay the fine. And we're going to go back to your apartment to get your passport. I guess they do not believe that he has a passport or he's legal to be in Austria at the time. So three officers who are not wearing any type of name badge or anything like that, he, who, which he asked their names. There was three officers, two males and a female. Um, they would not give Aaron their names. One of them handcuffed Aaron, but not without a fight, as you would presume, because Aaron knew his rights and he knew that no crime had been committed. He hadn't said anything. They, they haven't told him that he committed any crimes. So he naturally tried to pull away from the officers. And all three officers, one officer grabbed each arm while another officer placed the handcuffs on Aaron. And his face was smashed into a desk as well as one of the officers punched him uh, in his lower left chest, he said, which he felt throughout his entire body. He said it was a quite forceful punch. So the officers take Aaron back to his flat, and here's what happened next in Aaron's words. Quote, We arrived at my flat around 2015, and I had to show them where it was, and they were upset with me that I did not know the exact address. They asked if anyone was in the flat. I said no. They entered my apartment near this time, all three officers, and they did not take the handcuffs off of me, although they knew I needed my hands to get what I needed. When we entered the flat, the first thing they noticed was a mail calendar that I had on the wall. They looked at each other and snickered. It said something like, Tuna. I was not exactly sure where the passport was, and I had to open a drawer with my foot, and then another I had to bend on my knees and open backwards because my hands were behind my back. They refused to help me, even though I had told them where the stuff was. While I was bent pulling the drawer open, I was threatened with a can of mace or pepper spray. I did not see the exact contents. However, my mother has been a police officer in New York for almost 20 years. I recognized it as being a spray repellent. 
I gave them both of my passports as they wanted to document how long I had been there and what I was doing, etc. And they again hassled me about my name, both changed and hyphenated. I waited for them for 30 minutes until they wrote everything down from both passports, both my old and new one, and I had to sit on the heater edge in my room, still handcuffed. At around 2100, the female officer took off the handcuffs, which had eaten into my wrist, and then I told them to leave my house immediately. At present, my bag is still at the station, as I'm afraid to go pick it up, yet I still need its contents. Signed, Aaron M.J. Gillard. End quote. So, it was becoming pretty apparent to Kathy that she'd have to be the one to find out what happened to her son. So she started asking around to everyone who knew Aaron and anyone who could help. She was eventually put into contact with a gay police officer who helped her call the call center at the police department. They asked the person there about the calls that came in the night Aaron disappeared. It was then that Kathy's fears were confirmed. The police were indeed lying to her. The dispatcher told Kathy that no calls were made to the call center from the entire district that night. No call was ever made from the sauna or the spa, and no fire and rescue was ever sent out. The police were lying literally about everything. So Kathy decides she's going to have to take this investigation into her own hands. So I thought, well, I got to start somewhere. I had no idea where it was going to lead, and I ended up going to this gay bookstore. This is the university section, and I'm walking down the street where the potted plant is in the windows. That's Cafe Burke. And then around the corner, where the rainbow flags is, is the bookstore. I remember walking into the gay bookstore, and straight ahead of the door was a table with a book. And I looked at it, and I started crying because it was a book that Aaron had. And these two men were behind the counter, and they were like, whoa, what is this? You know, and, and one came up to me, and I said, I'm looking for, for, for Viet. He said, Viet? I said, Viet. And he says, that's me. And I told him, I said, I'm Aaron Gillern's mother. And he looked at me, he says, I know Aaron. And this was, again, all before it had been in the press. And this is where he took me and we sat down. So he took me into the back and I just blurted out everything. And, and he just sat there overwhelmed with all this. And he said, well, let me make some phone calls. And he says, I'm going to call somebody. He said, two weeks ago, um, Two, well, two weeks prior to Aaron's disappearance, so around the middle of October, the, um, the police in Vienna started a gay and lesbian support group for gay and lesbian police officers to support them because of discrimination within the police department and also to train them to be liaisons with the gay community because the gay community, gay and lesbian community was so mistrustful of the police department. So he said, I know the person who's pretty much in charge of this. You know, he's a gay police officer and I'm gonna call him. So he called him and um, Evald said he would come and meet me that night. On November 13th, he had a meeting with the police and Evald had arranged it through someone, he didn't tell me who, but somebody high up in the ranks. 
He said, um, you know, I've gotten a hold of somebody who's very interested in this, and this is a person who helped start the gay and lesbian support group, and they will have someone at that meeting, and, and you'll be okay. I said, all right. So myself and Angelica Radix, who is the psychologist at, at UNIDO, went to, again, the same building, the same room where I was given my son's belongings. Same room, same story. In this meeting, the interpreter asked if she can translate the conversation to Kathy as the meeting goes. And the investigator or the officer said no, that he will conduct the meeting the way he wants to conduct the meeting. And he went on to talk faster than the interpreter could translate. And before demanding at the end of the meeting that Kathy sign a paper that she could not read and had no idea what it said, he took a few more jabs at her. Here it is in her words. So, very cocky, he says, so do you have any more concerns? I said, excuse me? They just didn't like the tone. He said, do you have any more concerns you'd like to address with us? Seems like you have a lot of problems with the police. I said, I have a lot of questions and I have a lot of concerns but I don't think you're the one that I'm gonna to go to with them. And he says, oh, he says, you'll run to somebody else and have them go above our heads. So eventually, Kathy gets fed up and she walks out of the meeting and she realizes that if she wants anything done, it's gonna to have to be done herself entirely. Also, it's important to mention that at this point, there had been no press at all about Aaron's disappearance. The only stories that were published talked about how a UN employee had ran naked through the streets and jumped to his death. So each night, Kathy would walk the area where the spa was with a picture of Aaron. And one night, an employee of the, of the spa saw Kathy out there with a picture of Aaron. And she at, he asked Kathy to come in and see the spa and said that he had known Aaron. And of course, Kathy, you know, this being a gay spa in, in Germany, Kathy was like, uh, I don't think I could be in there. And he was like, no, 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 it's fine. You can come in. And But she was actually quite excited about being able to go in here because she wanted to see the layout. She wanted to see where Aaron was. Where was he last? Where did he go? And of course, checking for security cameras. So the man had a woman with him that also spoke English. Kathy said that she seemed to be Canadian or American, but her English was very good. So the man continued to lead Kathy on a tour of the spa. She claimed that as he was giving her the tour, he kept stopping and crying until they came to one particular room where the man literally fell on the floor, weeping on the tiles. And the woman said that this was the last place that he had seen Aaron. But when she, but when Kathy asked what happened to Aaron, the woman replied, what happened to your son here doesn't matter. Your son is gone now. And before the man got up, the woman also said, which, which sparked me as, as quite funny, she said to Kathy, just leave him be, don't touch him. Because Kathy tried to console the man while he was crying, Ironically, the mother of the missing man has to console one of his friends. I don't know. But 
when she tried to console him, the woman said, no, 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 don't touch him. This is, this is very hard for him. And I mean, could you imagine being in Kathy's position? It's like hard for him. Like he knew Aaron, what, four years max, maybe this is his mother you're talking to. But that just struck me as, as quite odd. But the man gave her a gift. He gave her two shirts from the spa, two polo shirts that said Kaiser Brundle on them, which I'm sure she treasured. During the tour, one thing Kathy did notice, and I briefly mentioned earlier, that there were a lot of cameras. But nothing was ever checked as far as she knew. So Kathy feeling quite defeated at this point, and her time was running out in Vienna, and she really needed to return to her life at home. She had another younger son at home. His name was Ramond, who, who, who needed her still. So on December 9th, she returns to New York. and But she's not given up her search for the truth. She decides that on the anniversary of Aaron's disappearance every year, she's going to hold a vigil at the spa in hopes that maybe someone will see her Maybe we'll, maybe someone will come forward. And the very first year, a reporter named Joseph Gepp wrote about Aaron and said there were no witnesses in the case. The day after it was published, Joseph Gepp got an email from a student at the local college that claimed he filed a report with the police after the paper published Aaron's death. Joseph met with the man and his girlfriend, and they claimed that they saw Aaron running naked and thought it was a college prank, like I was talking about earlier. The girl then whistled at Aaron, and when he turned and looked at them, they said they had never seen anyone look so afraid in their life. They said they did not call the police until after November 20th, when the original story was published about Aaron's suicide. They claimed that two officers came out to their house, took a statement, but when the police were asked about this incident, they said the witnesses were lying. Kathy was able to meet with the Green Party, and because of this inquest, because of this article, um, I'm sorry, not inquest, but because of this article, they were able to achieve and request an inquest into Aaron's case. But how it was handled was very mismanaged. Instead of an external investigation of the case, there was an internal investigation done, and the police were essentially allowed to investigate themselves. And of course, they cleared themselves, obviously. They claimed that the fire department was in charge of looking for Aaron, and they decide against searching the canal because it was unfavorable conditions. The water current was too strong for divers, and they cleared the scene without any kind of search. Kathy has fought and is still fighting to this day for answers. Justice delayed is justice denied. This is a quote from Kathy. It would be so much easier for me to say my son was depressed and he hid it from me, but not knowing and all the discrepancies and all the non-caring from the police has made this impossible to swallow. I mean, knowing is still going to be difficult to live with because I still won't have Aaron. But not knowing is just this perpetual limbo. Most of all, I just want my son. Um, 
you know, everybody tells me to hope. And uh, it's a very scary thing to hang on to. I guess my hope is that I keep it going. I'll just keep on knocking more bricks out. And my ultimate hope is that somebody develops a conscience at some point and comes forward. A police officer can't look at himself in the mirror anymore and says, I know what happened. Well, that's it. That is the strange case of Aaron Gillern. A case that needs more publicity, needs to be spread around. And again, if you guys are looking for more information, you can check out the documentary Gone. Um, it's available on YouTube and probably other surface services. I think it was on Hulu at one point in time, but I think it's been since removed. But you can watch the entire documentary on YouTube, and it is Believe me, it is worth watching. It's a fantastic documentary. So I have one more treat for you guys. Um, if you do, are not aware, this podcast is a True Crime Guys production. And True Crime Guys is a crime podcast where we talk about serial killers or just interesting crimes. But most of those crimes center around solved cases and killers, killers that have been caught, perpetrators that have been apprehended, um, closed book cases, rather. But in that show, I have an awesome co-host by the name of Lorne, and his part in this show is going to be called Lorne's Synopsis. So on most episodes moving forward, hopefully everyone, um, we will have a little Lorne's Synopsis at the end, and it'll be basically... Lawrence break down his understanding of this case because he is also studying this case and I, I this is something I asked him to do I thought it would be a little extra thing for the show it'd be a way for him to take part in it and um, also he always has interesting insight that maybe I hadn't thought of so without further ado I present to you Lawrence synopsis It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren's synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here from True Crime Guys co-host and pal of Michael. I wanted to give my thoughts on this case. Um, first off, this, these kind of cases are maddening to me. Someone disappearing without a trace or any answers, especially when law enforcement seems to not care. Even more so when law enforcement seems to be actively doing their best to hamper the investigation. One can't help but wonder what they're hiding, why they're hiding it. Um, such a good documentary, Gone. I have to say that initially, however, I said to myself, well, after watching this documentary, Gone, I have no interest in visiting uh, Vienna. Uh, when I thought about it, I was like, that's really not fair. Um, how many times on True Crime Guys have we studied a case where inept, shoddy, or even deceptive police work had played a large role in America, you know, and people 
wouldn't necessarily blame us. It's just, it's just all too easy for one person to make their way to a power position within a police department and things like this can happen. And you can't necessarily blame a whole country or even a city or a town for that. You can only hope that enough people stand up to those in power and demand the truth. Johnny Gosh comes to mind in this one, um, in regards to, uh, you know, like a police department seeming to uh, cover things up, um, which leads me to Catherine Gillern in regards to people standing up. The diligence and bravery that she showed and, and continues to show in the pursuit to find out the truth regarding her son, Aaron, is doing more good than she may realize or have intended. Uh, she's actively exposing underlying issues in Vienna to the world, much like uh, Noreen Gosh did in searching for the truth in regards to her son, Johnny Gosh. She uh, ended up uncovering an entire government-funded clandestine child sex ring simply by not giving up on the search for her missing child and demanding answers. The documentary Gone is one of the better true crime documentaries that I've watched in a while, and unfortunately it needs to be seen by more. It's not, it hasn't been picked up by Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. It's like I saw it on YouTube, and I think it's available on, on uh, video on demand, but it needs to be seen by more. Um, I feel as though I know Aaron just from watching this doc, and one cannot help but feel his mother's pain. Um, I wish I, I had even the slightest clue, however, as to what hap actually happened to Aaron even after watching the doc. One can only speculate the different possibilities. Admittedly, it's hard to forget the past, and as we know, there are still intolerant people walking among us, many of which are in positions of power. This, unfortunately, I believe plays a huge role in why Aaron has not been found. I do believe Aaron is dead and has been dead since that night, but I'm not 100% convinced that he was killed by someone in or connected to the Vienna Police Department. I think something unfortunate happened to Aaron, and the police could care less about what happened to him due to the fact that he was a gay man, who had moved to Vienna from America and was at a gay sauna that night. We've seen this mentality within the police departments in America for decades in regards to homosexuals and sex workers, and it's resulted in some of the most prolific serial killers in history, many of which we've uh, covered on our other show. So when it comes down to it, if I had to guess what actually happened to Aaron, I'd say that maybe he was targeted and drugged by someone at the sauna. I do strongly tend to believe that he was drugged. Either he took something that he didn't realize what he was taking, it's just his behavior, running out of the sauna nude, um, the fear on his face that was described by the witnesses. Um, it did seem as though he was being chased by someone. He seemed fearful of that, but that also could be the result of some sort of a strong drug that could uh, lead to paranoia. Um, uh, so after running away from the sauna, he, uh, my theory was he either accidentally harmed himself or was caught up to by whoever had targeted him initially and killed um, I was, I have to say, dumbfounded by the so-called inquest that was conducted, which was uh, supposed to investigate the police department's investigation into Aaron's disappearance. Uh, what good is an inquest into a police station's conduct if the findings are then handed over to said police station to review and come up with answers to prior to being released? So they basically got to see the findings and have answers for the things that they did wrong before it was made public. That's all wrong. You can't do that. Um, so in conclusion, there's one thing we can all agree on. Aaron and his family deserve justice, which they have not received. And hopefully the film Gone and other forms of media like this podcast, for instance, help to find the truth and expose the lies and corruption of those that were supposed to do their best to investigate this disappearance. And that's uh, my thoughts on this case. Michael, thank you for letting me share them. And I hope you guys enjoy this. Hell yeah, we enjoyed that, didn't we, guys? Really appreciate that, Lauren. Job well done. Johnny Gosh. Interesting that he brought up Johnny Gosh. I also couldn't help 
but think about Johnny Gosh so often during during this case, just because of the police cover-up. Not so sure that Aaron ended up in an underground sex ring, but possibly. Um, you never know. Or maybe he witnessed something along those lines in that sauna that night. But either way, guys, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting the show. And I actually want to give some shout-outs to some new patrons. You can subscribe yourself at patreon.com slash podcast. And for three bucks a month, you will get access to exclusive Patreon content and also early releases of every episode. So basically what I want to do now is acknowledge those of you who have jumped on this train early, and I truly appreciate that more than you know. All right, so some of our new patrons are uh, January Marie. Thank you. D. Keenan. Jason Elias. Kat Mitchell. Christine Beaker. Brittany. Elizabeth Stoppelmore. Jess Huey. Bridget Connors. Lauren TCG. Oh, I wonder who that could be. Meet Zena Pritt. Furwa. Emily. Tilda Oates. Stephen Land. Raul Marquez. Or Marquez. Lori Moreno and Rossio Ross. Guys, thank you so much for jumping on this crazy, strange, and unexplained train so early. And if you can't be a patron member right now, that's no problem. Another way you can help the show is going to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. It helps the show greatly. If you just have a few seconds to go onto iTunes, click five stars, or if you leave a actual written review, emojis or whatever, then I'll give you a shout. So I've had a few reviewers so far, and I want to give them a, a little acknowledgement here. I really appreciate that so much. Uh, Laura, Laura Vep, she said, really excited about this series. So far, so good. Fire emojis. Dope. Always excited to get fire emojis. And also Leroy Luna, five Five stars. Fire emojis. Excited about this new show. First episode was fantastic. Easy five stars. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate that. Also, uh, I-U-J-H-U-J-N. Five stars. Love it. Thank you so much. Uh, Shayna29 says, I'm hooked. And Patsy730 says, awesome. Looking forward to more episodes. So thank you guys so much. That is a great way to help the show. Um, for free. So, guys, episodes will be released on Mondays. Patreon episodes will be released as I complete them, um, typically before the, obviously, before the Monday release day. And also, there'll be a, a few other little things. If I find episodes that are too short for a full episode, and but I'm very interested in them, like the Amber Alert case that I have on Patreon now, then I will go ahead and record those and just release them on Patreon as Patreon Shorts. I'm also working on another show uh, that I'm not quite ready to reveal yet, but will probably be up within, well, it may be up by the time you hear this, but it's called The Palette Cleanser, and it will also be on Patreon. And it will basically be um, what I believe something that the true crime community needs, and it's something that's just what it's titled. It's a palate cleanser. Like, say you're listening to true crime late into the evenings and kind of getting creeped out don't really want to uh, shut the eyes and go into the old subconscious with all this murder and you know <laughs> negative energy in your brain then you can listen to an episode of the palate cleanser and uh hopefully you'll sleep like a baby 
So that's my goal. But anyways, guys, you can go find us on social media, S&U Podcast, at S&U Podcast, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Go give us a like. Go give us a follow. That also helps spread the word so much. Thank you, guys. If you have Also, if you have any case suggestions, you can hit me up on any of those platforms as well as snupodcast at gmail.com. Looking forward to getting some awesome case suggestions from you guys. So that's about it. So guys, just keep creeping. And uh, remember, be strange. Just don't be a stranger. <laughs>